My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it is February. It's only been like two weeks since we've recorded, but we are uh, we are convening again. We've got a lot of things to cover that have popped up here in two weeks. It's, it's as you know, it's a very very busy time of year with ACC football. Uh, how are you, sir? Are you ready to go? Yeah, we are. We were so busy that we hit record like ten days after last time we hit record. Neck deep. Neck deep. Neck deep, and we're still grasping. <laughs> what? Nevertheless, we have a podcast. I have good news, Mike. Uh, my coronavirus has healed. Um, if, if there's a coughing fit here in the middle, don't worry about it. We're, it's under control, I promise. We're good. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, no worries. Nothing to worry about at all. Um, it's it, totally normal to be expected. Uh, Mike, we have a couple things that we want to hit on in this podcast that are, that are I promise, ACC football related. Uh, things that have popped up here in the last couple weeks. So, without any further ado, let's just just hop right on in. Um, ESPN released their preseason FPI as well as SP Plus ratings for the entire country, but specifically, we've got some ACC teams listed here. Um, and, and as many will know, obviously the SP Plus ratings, those coming from uh, Mr. Bill Conley, who went over to ESPN a couple years ago from uh, SB Nation. Now, Banner Society, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the point, Mike, is we've got some preseason ratings, and I think we need to talk about these at least as it relates to the ACC and some of the buckets that this is going to turn into and what these might mean for those respective programs. Are you ready to uh, dive into these? Yes, I got bucket number one, Joey. Bucket number one. Are Is there more than one team in bucket number one? Absolutely not. Okay, and... Team number one and only one in that bucket is the paw, baby. Yeah, the the paw. This is all very shocking, Mike. Um, yes, the team that's won the ACC five years in a row and and damn near won a national title again this year. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say Clemson. Um, you know, they'll they'll be okay this year. I think they'll be all right. They should be. You they betting? Uh, you betting Trevor Lawrence for Heisman for like three to one? <laughs> Probably. I, I disagree. I, I think that's not a smart bet. I think it's not a smart bet for all the reasons it wasn't a smart bet this year. Because they have too many playmakers. Yeah. How many fourth quarters is that guy going to play? Yeah, there's Travis Etienne again this year, which further complicates things. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Clemson, number one in the ACC, number three overall in the SP+. And you sent me the FPI. They're number one on the FPI. So. Oh, yeah. Clemson in pretty good position to be making the playoff yet again out of the ACC. So uh, go see to that. I hope I hadn't like totally spoiled the season for you here in February, Mike. Yeah. Um, if you're picking on a team other than Clemson to win the conference, do less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're doing too much. Doing too much. Uh, number two in both rankings, number 17 overall in the SP+, Plus, number 18 overall in the FPI is the North Carolina Tar Heels, Mike. And um, if you if you want to just sort of start putting bookmarks in a couple things, I, I just have a feeling that these North Carolina Tar Heels are going to be my pick to win the Coastal here in 2020. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. 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 Yeah. I'll reserve. Let me reserve my thoughts on North Carolina for one second. Or like five months? No, like seriously, like one second. Let's oh. continue. Okay, just a second. All right. Uh, number three in the FPI, and this is where we're going to start getting into a cluster here, kind of in the in the 20s. 
Uh, number three in the FPI is number 23, Florida State. They are number four in the SP Plus at number 26. That seems like a bit of a leap for a Florida State team that has been awfully middling here for a couple of years. Yeah, that seems really high. Um, Florida State, while they have quarterback quarterbacks returning, um, I don't really know what inspires the confidence that all of a sudden, either even with the coaching change to Mike Norvell, that all of a sudden they're going to be a top 25 team like this year. Still have issues on the offensive line. They still have issues at quarterback. The running game hasn't been very good, and now they're not going to have Cam Akers anymore. Like, there's there's issues there at Florida State. Uh, defensively, they should be okay, but offensively is where I have the concerns for Florida State. Even though they, they get all these athletes and they still recruit well and they have good players, it's just, can they put it all together cohesively? It, it's the same question I have for Miami at this point, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, you know, can Florida State put it all together cohesively at the same time on a consistent basis year over year? I'm not sure they can do that, at least at the current moment. And Mike Norvell, I think, can get there, but I think it's going to take a little bit, a little bit of time anyway. And I think to expect that in year one is a little bit of a leap. Like I said, I mean, as middling as they've been for multiple years now, and really, I mean, they, they won the national title, right? That's been over half a decade ago. I mean, that was the 2013 team that won a national title. Like, we're, we're a pretty far cry away from that at this point. So, as, like you said, I mean, as much as I like the Mike Norvell hire, and not just Norvell himself, but a lot of the, the staff that he's putting around himself, and I, I think that they are putting themselves in a position to be very successful here within two to three years, this is a, a pretty big leap to say that they're going to be maybe a top 25 team. And especially considering that these things are not, like, taking into account coaching changes and such. These These are mathematical systems that are really just looking at, like, Performance from last year, plus like recruiting rankings and lost production, how that translates into Florida State being like a fringe top 25 team is intriguing to me. I mean, I guess, again, they're more talented than basically everybody else in the ACC, not named Clemson or maybe Miami. But other than that, I I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, that Florida State is a fringe top 25 team. So uh, we'll keep moving here. Number 23 in the SP Plus and number 37 in the FPI is Miami. So clearly here, this is where you're going to see some of the, I think some of the biggest disparity in the conference between what these two systems think. Uh, Miami SP plus has traditionally loved Miami, despite what they have actually been on the field and FPI really not seeing it. I think really probably resulting from how inconsistent and iffy the offense was at, at most times last year. Yes. Yeah, so you and I were texting, um, I think it was actually Friday, just like a few days ago. We were talking about the SP Plus rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about Miami specifically um, and how they seemed like they were a little bit overrated in SP Plus. And then, you know, we, we were talking about how Miami is always overrated in SP Plus, like you just mentioned. Uh, the number 37 ranking in the FPI, I think, is a little bit more reflective or better reflective of what I think Miami is at this point. I think they're a top 40 team. I don't think they're a top 25 team. Uh, like SP Plus projects, Miami's got issues of their own. We talked about the issues that Florida State has. Miami's got issues at quarterback. They have issues at running back. They have issues at some of the skill positions with players they have departing. And for the first time in a long time, they're going to have defensive players departing as well, Joey. Like, mm-hmm. there are guys on the defensive side of the ball that they're losing um, that they haven't had to really worry about in a while, right? Like at They've the been linebacker. playing in Manny Diaz's defense since Manny Diaz got to Miami. 
Right. And now all of a sudden, you like you have your first sign of true attrition on that defense where you still got to replace you got to start replacing guys at all three levels, which hasn't happened at Miami in a while because they had a young up and coming defense. Defense is still returning a lot, but um, it's just something to consider. Miami's defense should still be very good. It should be the anchor of the team offensively. Where do you even begin on the issues that they have? So, yeah, there's a lot here that they're, you know, Rhett Lashley is going to have to work through um, as a new offensive coordinator. Dear King, a quarterback, is it really an upgrade? I don't know at this point. We talked about that on the previous podcast. So, yeah, jury's out on Miami. I, I think the number 37 ranking in the FPI is a bit more reflective of where they should be rather than the SP plus rankings has them inside top 25. All I know is that a 14 spot difference, and especially their around the end of the top 25 is a a pretty substantial difference between what these two systems think of this team so worth just sort of putting a notch in and, and keeping in mind that that's an odd spot to be uh, yep number 32 in the sp plus and number 25 in the fpi so a little bit of a difference here mike it's your virginia tech hokies I, I will maintain, and I will continue to maintain, I am skeptical of this team. I'm skeptical of, of this coaching staff and all this. But you obviously are way closer tied in to the program at this point. Is 2020 the year that they really make a comback and re, like reestablish themselves as a real force in the ACC Coastal? Yeah, I think it's a 9 or 10 win team next year. Um, it better be. It better be. Yeah, it better be. I agree. Um I think where they are in FPI is more reflective of where they should be. I'm seeing a 25 rather than was it 32 in the SP plus. Yep. Um, and this is the problem I have with UNC's ranking in, in both metrics. So Virginia Tech, uh, I get that it was a six overtime game. Anything can happen. But Virginia Tech and North Carolina were very even last year, in my opinion, despite what the records may have told you. Um, obviously, Virginia Tech finished with a better record than UNC did. But... I thought that those two teams were very even last year. Um, I still think that that's the case. I don't think that anything UNC has done in the offseason represents that they should have this kind of jump where they're in the top 20 in both FPI and SP+. Virginia Tech is sixth in the country in returning production for 2020, the team that beat North Carolina on the field in Blacksburg in a very evenly matched game. Six overtimes. Evenly matched game. <laughs> North Carolina, 18th, still very good. 18th in return, 18th in the country in returning production. Um, ninth on offense, 63rd on defense. So, again, very even teams. It took six overtimes to decide the game in Blacksburg last year. I don't understand the the 14 spot, 15 spot difference in SP plus, and I don't necessarily understand the seven spot difference in FPI. Um, I think they should be more evenly and closely spread out in, in the two metrics, but I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just a man. I'm, I'm, I'm just a boy. I, um, the, yeah, that's just my opinion on it. The I, thing I would throw in here, Mike, is that North Carolina, they went, what, seven and six last year? Yeah, what, nine one-score games? I, well, I was, was going to say, of the six games they lost, the biggest loss they had was by seven points. Yeah. That's a, that is a lot of close games. Um, yeah. And Virginia Tech, I mean, for most of their losses, I mean, it was seven points Boston College. It was one point to Notre Dame. It was, uh, you know, nine points to Virginia and seven to Kentucky. But there's also that 35-point loss to Duke in there. You could argue how lucky, you know, the, the Notre Dame game was. Like, 
I I could see a little bit, and I think I, without being able to really dictate it, like I understand thinking that North Carolina is going to be better than than Virginia Tech next year. Um, I think it's worth noting that Virginia Tech's rushing attack, like Deshaun McLeese, is gone, um, and so then you're trying to lean on a couple of quarterbacks who, you know, are they really established run running you know game contributors? Keyshawn King is there and some guys, you know, but couple transfers, which, you know, for we'll better see. or worse, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, right? you don't really we'll know. See. Right. So like at the very least, I understand why the numbers would say this. Um, but I, I, I think it's totally valid to think, I mean, we, we've kind of been sitting here waiting for a couple of years on Virginia tech to like really turn the corner and do what we kind of expect them to do. Right. Um, and there, I don't have a good reason to think it won't be this year, you know, even though it hasn't been the last couple of years, you know, so there's the pieces are in place if the coaching staff can get it out of them, I think. Yeah, my, my whole thing isn't that North Carolina is ranked higher. That's not what I have the issue with. It's the disparity mm-hmm. between North Carolina and Virginia Tech. If they're truly so evenly matched, and I think Hendon Hooker is a good quarterback. I think Sam Howell is a great quarterback. So that's my personal opinion. I think Sam Howell, outside of Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is the best quarterback in the conference. Um, he's probably one of the top, conservatively speaking, six or seven quarterbacks in the country going into next season. Um, Sam Howell is excellent. I think that's the one difference between North Carolina and Virginia Tech. And if you're going to say, okay, let's look at these two on even playing field, right? And we say, okay, Virginia Tech's defense may be slightly better than North Carolina's. Okay, North Carolina's offense slightly better than Virginia Tech's. Mm-hmm. Overall co- coaching, I guess you could take Mac Brown and a coin flip. So you're like, okay, these two these two teams are very even. Sam Howell, one team has Sam Howell, one team doesn't, right? Yeah. And maybe that's where you say, okay, North Carolina's a favorite to win the Coastal because they have the better quarterback. They'll be and playing be, at home this year too. They'll be playing at home against Virginia Tech head to head in a game that, in my opinion, could end up deciding the Coastal Division. Mm-hmm. So. That's perfectly valid, right? Yeah. It's just the disparity between the two, I think, is, is crazy considering how, cl- I mean, six overtimes. I think that's fair. If it, So if I gave you North Carolina as a four-point favorite at home this year against Virginia Tech in Chapel Hill right now, who do you want? Tech. Really? You're I would gonna, take Tech. Would you just take the points on basically either side of that game? I would just take the points on either side. Yeah, I, I was going to say mark, three <laughs> three points for home field, and then maybe one point for North Carolina being a little bit better. That's Which, exactly how I feel. That's where I set the line. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a field goal either direction, yeah. and if you want to set it to four, that's fine, and just give give the team you think is a little bit better a point, and yeah. then just say you know home field gets three. That's exactly how I feel about it. It's yeah. totally even in my opinion. And that the only other thing I'll add to this is that I. The guy that I absolutely cannot wait to watch in the conference this year is Sam Howell. I mean, he, as good as he was as a freshman, I I think he has a chance to be to start pushing Trevor Lawrence almost for who's the quarterback to pay attention to in this conference kind of thing. I agree. I agree because Lawrence is going to be gone after next year. Mm-hmm. So um, barring something crazily unforeseen, he's mm-hmm. going to be the top pick in the NFL draft when he comes out mm-hmm. in a little over a year. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, Sam Howell is Sam Howell's the guy. And then I think if you're going to pick one other quarterback in the conference, maybe it is Endon Hooker. 
Yeah. <laughs> and if that's the case, we're going to be in for a treat when they when they square off next fall. Yeah, if you, if you get a few games of him, cause we, we've seen a full season of Sam Howell. We saw about a half a season of Hendon Hooker. If we get a full season of him doing the same thing, I mean, yeah, he's he's right there. I, I There has been a quarterback void in the ACC the last couple of years for guys not named Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Perkins that I think people are begging to be filled. And guys like Howell and Hooker are right there very capable of, of being – you know, big time quarterbacks in this league, for sure. Um, that I'm I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued to see kind of how that whole thing unfolds, and we will uh, we'll have to find out. It's going to be the most, in my opinion. It's and just to kind of wrap it up real quick. I think it's the storyline to watch next year, mm-hmm. at least as we sit here in February. The storyline, and the one that ESPN is going to grab onto is Derek King in Miami, 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 Miami. Mm-hmm. Miami's going to finish maybe third in the conference mm-hmm. or third in the um, third in the division. Yeah. Um, or I, Rhett Lashley is going to win like the Broyles Award. And if he does, Miami's winning the Coastal. Right. Um, and, and every you know Miami finally realized expectations. Yeah, that's correct. Um, which I, you know, good luck. By the way, um, if you're a if you're a Florida State fan, go ahead and scrub forward 15 seconds. Three, two, one. Gosh, how bad could Florida State use Sam Howell on their team right now? Oh my God, so badly, <laughs> so badly. They swung and missed so bad. God, they could use him. It hurts, man. It oh, man. hurts. He's so good for Norvell. He would be so good for Norvell. Oh, jeez. Okay. okay. Sorry, Florida State. Okay. Um, one team that is the top five of either of these rankings that we still haven't hit. Uh, FPI number 35, Louisville. Uh, number 41 in the SP Plus, Louisville. So they, they get top five because they come in front of top, uh, number 37, Miami in the FP Plus, but, or the FPI, excuse me. Um, Louisville 35 in the FPI, 41 in the SP Plus. That feels about right, maybe a little bit low. I think there's there's a lot of potential there with Scott Satterfield and his coaching staff. I think Louisville's better than Virginia Tech. Hmm. Um, not from a talent perspective, but maybe from a coaching perspective, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously Virginia Tech has more talent returning. Uh. But, I mean, Satterfield did more with less this year. Completely. Who's to say he won't do it again? And I think Mikel Cunningham's a really good quarterback too. Mm-hmm. Um. I thought he emerged as. I mean, one of the surprises of the conference last year. And I think he's one of those guys that, you know, second year in the system under Satterfield, I think he could take a significant stride forward. I mean, you're talking about, you know, this conference being devoid of quarterbacks. Imagine if Mikhail Cunningham is as good as he can be. Um, This is a conference that could be in really good hands, both on the coastal and the Atlantic sides. Well, not even him. Mikhail Cunningham missed a couple games with injury. Evan Connolly was really good. The third string yeah. quarterback. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That I believe was committed to Appalachian State when Scott Satterfield took the job and said, no, 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 you're good enough to come to Louisville. Come play in the ACC instead of going to Appalachian State. And Evan Connolly stepped in was pretty damn good at, at times for Louisville last year. Yep. And, you know, I made that comment about Louisville. I think they could get Virginia Tech. Well, they play Virginia Tech yeah. at Louisville next fall. That'll so, be fun. That's a huge game. That'll you talk about big game. games on Virginia Tech's schedule. They got they got Penn State, North Carolina, and Louisville, and that's before you even factor in Miami and UVA. Mm-hmm. So that Louisville game could be pretty large for both teams. That's a, a pretty big uh, nut-up-or-shut-up schedule for 
Justin Fuente and his staff, I think. That's what I'm saying, too. I'm not trying to turn this into a Virginia Tech podcast, but people are, like, looking at the schedule. They're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely 9 or 10 win. I just mm-hmm. told you that I think this – I just told you that I think this is a 9 or 10 win team next year. But then I look at – you look at it on paper, people are like, oh, absolutely, 9 or 10 wins. What makes you say that? I, I would not have a problem if you told me that Virginia Tech was either going to win, like, 10 games or 7 games against the schedule. Yeah. Because that would tell me a lot about what this team actually is. Right. I, I could completely see them going 10-2 and two against a pretty rough schedule and say, okay, that's what they've been building. That's that's what we've been thinking they were going to be, all this stuff. It could also turn around and be a seven-win team and be like, that's what, kind of what we thought they were. You know, Denny right. Green, the whole thing, right? right. But Right. Um, and almost if there was just very little in between. So, I don't know. That's yep. that's. I hadn't noticed that, but you're correct. That's a very telling schedule, I think, for, for the Hokies here this fall. Yeah, there's a difference from saying that should be 10 wins, and I think this is a 10-win team. Those are two different statements. Yep. One's your expectation, one's reality. Exactly. Uh, next up, SP Plus has Pittsburgh 42nd. FPI has Pittsburgh 43rd. Um, feels a, it feels low from the sense of, like, it's a Power 5 team and not a bad Power 5 team in the whole thing. But then again, I mean, relative to what the ACC has been and where they sit in the ACC, I... I I think I'm okay with that. You know, I I don't have any reason to believe that Pittsburgh is going to have a breakout year in 2020. No, I mean, 7-8 wins. Narduzzi seems to always find a way to get him to a bowl game. Mm -hmm. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be able to do that again. Um, He's doing fine at Pittsburgh. He's not doing great at Pittsburgh. I would agree with that. Uh, 44th in SP+, Virginia. 47th in FPI, excuse me. This is, I think this is an interesting one because I've seen a couple of comments on the Georgia Tech end of things that think, well, Bryce Perkins is gone. Virginia Tech is just totally going to bottom out. They're going to be, they're going to be like 2019 Georgia Tech levels of bad. And I, I disagree with that. I don't think that. I don't think that they've got really much a shot of winning the Coastal in a second straight year. But I don't really think they're going to be like definitely missing a bowl game bad. I, I think they'll probably be like six and six seven and five i think they'll be okay but not not necessarily great yeah i mean i think virginia is going to make a bowl game i don't i mean bronco has <laughs> raised the floor he's raised the floor he has um and a lot of people on on your side of the fence and my side of the fence don't like hearing that because it's a team in the coastal that they didn't necessarily have to worry about for a really long time mm-hmm. but yeah he's raised the floor and is virginia going to the acc championship next year no they're not um, they're losing the most dynamic player that they've had at one of the most or the most important position on the field in a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Bryce Perkins isn't breaking down that door anymore. So and Brendan Armstrong, <laughs> I don't know how many times we have to tell the UVA fans we think he'll be good eventually. Do we think he's going to be Bryce Perkins? No. And if he is good for UVA, they're going to be competing for for a Coastal Division title. Um, but I don't see that happening yet um certainly not this year and you know i think virginia being where they are in this ranking right now i think it's fine you know i think a top 50 rating is fine i definitely don't see the bottoming out like some people are expecting though i'm mm-hmm. with you a lot of tech a lot of virginia tech fans are saying that too and i'm like yo guys i don't i don't see it they're too well coached yeah i the thing i think about is when we've kind of made this reference a little bit you know bryce perkins generational player right um there is a reason that we are talking about Brennan Armstrong similar to how we were talking about Mikhail Cunningham. 
right? Mikhail Cunningham basically following up Lamar Jackson. And we're not sitting here threatening that Mikhail Cunningham might be the next Michael Vick, that he might win the Heisman Trophy, like he might be the Offensive Player of the Year in the ACC. None of that. He's good. And, and I, you know, I think Louisville has a nice player in him, the whole thing. Probably in the same way that Virginia has a nice player in, in Brendan Armstrong. But there, there is a stark and important difference between that and a guy that, you know, you think has a legit shot to be holding the trophy at Radio City Music Hall in December, right? Like, and, yeah. And believe, whether you believe it or not, like, Virginia fans, we're going to be, you know, noticing this here by, like, mid-October that you can be good but not be Bryce Perkins. And that's fine, by the yeah. way. I'm not Bryce Perkins. <laughs> I'm not nearly that fast or that elusive. I don't throw the ball that well at all. I'm just sitting here in my computer chair in Houston, Texas. Drinking a margarita. Yeah, it's fine. Drinking but... a marg. Yeah, happy Tuesday, baby. Sure. Yeah, no, I it's agree. It's all relative. I, yeah, I think a lot of fans want to, and this is kind of a larger discussion, but I think a lot of fans want to pin you know, titles, and this player is the next generational player mm-hmm. this the next Vic the next Lamar Jackson the next mm-hmm. Cam Newton the yeah. next Joe Burrow then on and on and on and it's like yo not every player is elite like not every elite prospect is elite how many five stars and four stars have flamed out so many so many have flamed out it's unbelievable yeah. Virginia Tech has had highly rated four-star recruits over the last I mean since I went to school there when I started Virginia Tech in 2011, up until now, they've had plenty of four stars, blue high chip, end blue four chip, stars, blue chip. blue chip, blue chip, blue chip recruits that have not panned out. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech is one example. You you consider all of the other FBS teams out there that are getting blue chip recruits, and there are a lot. You know, some get more blue chips than others, and those blue chip players going to schools in large droves are competing for national championships. But for every five star that hits for every four star that hits there's like three or four that don't mm-hmm. that's a fact and not every player is going to be lamar jackson and, and michael vick and joe burrow and it's just not going to happen so it's fine if the player is not that elite good as long as he's good and the rest of the team is good your team's going to be good so go with that mike i need to Head over real, real quick i just need to have a, a quick little moment of uh, vulnerability with you um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in a little bit on, on who I am and kind of where I come from. I think I know where this is going. I, well, let's find out. Um, my my freshman year at Georgia Tech, 2009, Georgia Tech wins the ACC Coastal on the back of Josh Nesbitt and the whole thing. And uh, Nesbitt that year was a, a junior. Yeah, that was his third year at Georgia Tech. He was a four-star recruit out of, out of Georgia. Um and, you know, in 2010, he returns for his senior year and um, he ends up breaking his arm in Blacksburg um, on a horrific play call before halftime. Anyways, not the point. The point is that as good as he was in 2008, 2009, and, and for a good part of 2010, um, coming in to replace him was none other than former two-star recruit out of Wetumpka, Alabama, Tevin Washington. And uh, rising third year at Georgia Tech told myself, well, Tevin runs the offense really good. Like he, there's no reason he can't be as good as Josh Nesbitt was. And then what happened? Everybody has their limitations, Mike. This is all I'm saying. <laughs> like, God love him. Like Tevin Washington was arguably maybe the the best like 
technical operator of Paul Johnson's offense at quarterback that you had at Georgia Tech. Like but, he, it was either him or, or Justin Thomas as far as you know making the right reads and timing things right and all this stuff. But what there it is. We all we all run into our physical limitations at some point, Mike, and and that's where a lot of the star ratings come in, and that's where your team's ceiling comes in. All I'm saying, look, if if it just on the off chance it happens that Brennan Armstrong is not as good as Bryce Perkins was, that's okay. That's fine. God that love quite him. All right. He's he's doing his best, and yep. Virginia's doing their best, and Broncos doing his best, and you can't blame him for not being as good as Bryce Perkins. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Michael Brewer is not as good as Michael Vick because his name happens to be Michael. For example, we've been going on for almost half an hour, and we're only like halfway through the conference. All right. Uh, we knew we knew this would happen. <laughs> we really did. Number fifty-five in the FPI and number fifty-eight in the SP plus. Hmm. The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Sup. Hmm. Couple injuries guys are coming back from maybe year two in the system. Slight upgrade in talent. It's high. It feels a little bit high and little high. I don't know. Georgia Tech feels like it's going to be a pretty significant variance team this year. And like, yeah. What do you really, really think they're going to be preseason versus what do they end up being? They had such just drastic schematic issues on offense last year that I honestly couldn't figure out. Are they at such a ridiculous talent deficiency that they can't do anything? Or is the scheme so inept that they're they're just like banging their heads against the wall? Or are they really just not trying to win that bad? Like, I I don't know. It, It was so hard for me to discern so much. So, I mean, I could see them ending up 30 spots worse than this i could see him ending up 20 spots better than this you know somewhere in the mid 30s somewhere in the like 80s i don't know it's it's gonna yeah. be really curious to watch them this year yeah no i i think they are a top 65 team not necessarily a top 55 team but all that is to say that there is going to be a significant amount of variability i'm with you i could see georgia tech winning six games i could see them winning two games the biggest question for me, like you just mentioned, is the offense, right? Like, I came away absolutely flabbergasted by some of the offense that I saw out of Georgia Tech last mm-hmm. year. And maybe it's because I was used to the one-dimensional, well-oiled machine that was the Paul Johnson offense for a significant time over the last, like, whatever it was, 10, 15 years. I don't know how long he was there. I lost count. He was there a while. Um, 12 or something? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, 12, a little over 10. Yeah, um, I wasn't used to them not being able to move the ball forward at all. Yeah. Um, so they got to fix that. And mm-hmm. I, it's not like, it, in Miami's case, where I looked at Miami, I'm like, all right, I believe it when I see it. Like, they got all this talent. Can they put it all together? It's the same case for Georgia Tech, but it's more like, I haven't seen it out of a Jeff Collins team in Atlanta before. So mm-hmm. let's try to see that in year two before I just proclaim that they're going to go to a bowl game and et cetera. And, and mm-hmm. I expect them to be better. That's all, all that to say. I do expect them to be better, yeah. but um, top, you know, top 55 seems a little high, at least at the outset. Yeah. There's, there's the tricky piece of that too, that they have a pretty gnarly schedule as well with Notre Dame and UCF and a couple folks. So, it's gonna be gonna be an interesting little season to watch. We'll say that. Uh, yep. No, number fifty nine in the FPI and number sixty two in the SP plus. The NC State Wolfpack and Mike. All I gotta say, 
for Dave Doran's sake, it had better be better than that. It better be, mm-hmm. because Joey, he is out of time, in my opinion. Which is a shame, because we're we're big fans of Dave Doran here on the Basketball Conference Podcast. <laughs> yeah, something like that. We, I, I would be shocked if he were to lose his job here. Did you see that they, they won nine games two years in a row, Mike? Can you believe yep. that NC State might be looking to move on from Dave Doran? Yep. Shocking. You were on this train long before I was, and now I have hitched my wagon to the back of your train and <laughs> away we go down the railroad i am 1000 percent with you on the Dave doran thing now and i wasn't initially i was like yeah we'll see i don't think he's as bad as you say he is um and then the 2019 nc state Wolfpack happened and now i'm like you know what you're right they I think went you're right and lost to my georgia tech yellow jackets which they did that's an elite list of teams that only <laughs> includes what miami and who else <laughs> I forget. I yeah. don't even remember who the third team they beat was. Oh, USF. USF. Yes. Do we want to talk about the Citadel? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Let's, leave that. Let's leave that there. The Citadel okay. definitively better than Miami. We can say that. Yep. By the transit definitively property. better. Yes. As well as NC State, turns out. <laughs> so there we go. Full circle. Uh, you can't hurt me anymore with this. Okay. Uh Let's see, Duke at number 64 in the FPI and a very nice 69 in the SP+. Fine. I don't know if this really includes the whole Chase Bryce thing. I don't know if it could include the Chase Bryce thing, but... I mean, Duke could be better next year, but I'm starting to wonder if this David Cutcliffe thing is starting to run its course a little bit and it might be time for him to move on into the after-football coaching life. I'm glad you coached it by saying the after football coaching. <laughs> <life>. <laughs> As opposed like, to former be... other coaches that I've mentioned putting out to pasture, which is a different <laughs> yeah. connotation too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we need to kill Dave Cutcliffe <laughs> off yet. Um, <laughs> he's a nice man. Uh, okay. Duke. Okay. So I, I think, so I don't know how it could necessarily include Chase Bryce. Um, I, I would assume SP plus did not include Chase Bryce. Um, maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, FPI, no idea. I would assume that it does. Whatever. Chase Bryce, four-star quarterback. He looked really good at Clemson at times. He saved Clemson's bacon in that Syracuse game uh, two years ago when Trevor Lawrence was a freshman and saved their national championship season. Yeah, I mean, I think Chase Bryce is good. I don't know how good. I mean, he's looked good in limited action with the best playmakers on the planet in all honesty, so like now you're kind of playing with Duke's playmakers, which is quite a significant step down. Um, sorry, Blue Devils fans. So I don't know. This seems low only because I, I do think Chase Bryce is quite good, but I could also see Duke being like a six-win team, Chase Bryce putting up numbers, and their defense being really bad, and the running game being really bad, and it's Chase Bryce or bust, and prayers to all of you in Durham. Duke's also an interesting place because I know, I know one of the discussions that's been had kind of on the Georgia Tech end of things as as they've hired the new coaching staff and such is um, the state of Georgia, you know, in f- five years ago when Georgia Tech was under Paul Johnson, there were a lot of um, mid-upper tier recruits out of the state that were leaving and there were some discussions here in the, in the recent year or so of like, okay, so with this new staff in place who's going to put a lot of emphasis on recruiting and all this stuff, 
Who's going to be the big loser from hopefully Georgia Tech kind of creating some more control over you know in-state recruits and you know that, that top level talent? And there's some names that have popped up, like you know, call it Tennessee, South Carolina, NC State, whatever. But Duke is one of those. Duke has found their way to kind of dip into some some upper level talent in Georgia that is more academically inclined that I think Georgia Tech is going to start to swing a little bit. And I wonder if this is what we're seeing a little bit in the last couple of years of Duke not being quite as daunting is a slight drop in what was already kind of an only mediocre talent level across the board. Um, I don't know. It's something I, I think is worth paying attention to. They, they, have they been getting as many transfers? I know like Jeremy Cash was was a big-time player in their secondary for two or three years. He transferred in from Ohio State. Like, they're getting offensive linemen out of Georgia that were, like, four-star linemen. You know, there, there are these guys that I think were really make, maybe making the team go and giving them an extra win or two per year that I don't know that necessarily Duke is getting at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a fair assessment. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of a guy like Chase Price, like what else is Duke bringing in? Because the existing talent level on the roster, I don't think is, is good enough to represent a top 25 team right now. And Mm -hmm. for a while Duke was a top 25 team, even with a really, really strong ACC from top to bottom. And if they weren't a top 25 team, they were a team on the fringe. They were winning eight games. They were winning nine games in their best years. Like, They had very good teams under David Cutcliffe there for a while that were well-rounded and had athletes, like you mentioned, on both sides of the football. We haven't seen that in a while out of Duke. It's It's been probably two, three years. Um, might have been like Daniel Jones' freshman year was like the last time we saw a legit, dangerous, good Duke team. Yeah, and we call Daniel Jones good, unfortunately. <laughs> it's all relative, him. Mike. It's all relative. Yeah, it was, it was a jinx. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, number 71 in the SP Plus and number 78 in the FPI, the Boston College Eagles. Year one under mm. Jeff Halfley. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, oh, is it going to be Dennis Grossell or is it going to be Phil Jerkovic, quarterback? That's... Probably Phil Jerkovic. Yeah, probably. Um... If, if only for optics. I mean, you remember when Max Brown went to – Pit like three years ago. Holy shit! I mean, he was a he was a, a mid level four star recruit. Like he had a cannon. He wasn't any good, okay. but he was exhibit, starting. Exhibit A. Not all four stars pan out. <laughs> Mike, he signed with USC. How bad could he be? Yeah, and then he transferred to Pitt. And he still sucked. He might have transferred somewhere else and still sucked after that. I don't remember. Uh, wasn't good. Well, it's it's not good. Well. There you go. There's uh, <laughs> what, what we'd like to call proof of concept from 20 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Uh, number 81 in the SP Plus and a nice number 69 in the FPI Wake Forest. Very nice. Ooh. So, th- so this is the point that I've seen brought up and that we're going to have to kind of keep an eye on. We all think pretty highly of Dave Clawson. He builds a really good program at places that have no business having really good football programs and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. This is the longest he's been anywhere, ever. Like, there, there is a, a bit of a question, I think, that could be asked about, it's one thing to build a program, it's a different thing to kind of sustain one. And I think that's where we're at with Dave Clawson of... of 
can he build a program and sustain it for more than like a grand total of five years? Yeah. Or is this uh, just, just one down year for Wake Forest and they'll bounce back in 2021? I don't know. Remember when Jamie Newman transferred to an offense that actually could be argued might be worse for him than the one they had in Wake Forest? I'll hang yes. up and listen. No, I, okay. I was hope, I was hoping you were going to say transferred to an offense that was, I don't know, good. And I was going to say, no, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Actually, I don't remember that. I don't that's, think that's happened. That offense was not good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Wake Forest. Yeah. It's a fair question about Dave Clawson. Um, my biggest question, I mean, I think Dave Clawson can coach. I'm not really mm-hmm. worried about whether he's standing or building it or whatever. He's coaching at Wake Forest. So mm-hmm. props to him. If you're winning seven games at Wake, eight games at Wake, the fact that you're, you're not breaking through to nine or ten at Wake Forest is not a big, as big of a deal to me as consistently winning games enough to get yourself into bowl games at freaking Wake Forest. Again, it's like, all relative. It's all relative. Um and you said that yourself. <laughs> uh, my The biggest question for me for the Wake Forest team for next year is can Sam Hartman stay healthy? Uh, when we saw a good bit of him as a freshman two years ago, he was pretty good. He wasn't Jamie Newman good, but he was pretty good. Like, good enough to be the quarterback of Wake Forest and even be very good at times. He's fine. Then he got hurt, and then Jamie Newman took over his starting job, never looked back. We saw a little bit of Sam Hartman this past year, but he ended up redshirting. So now you have three years of Sam Hartman left. What does that look like? We'll Jamie find Newman out. took over that job, and, and the immediate question was, where the hell why, has this guy been? Why was he not the starter the entire time, yeah. and why haven't we taken Dave Clawson out to pasture? He's been on the bench right? the whole, like, what? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he comes back, and he'll take over the Wake Forest team again. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. It's it's not just a quarterback transition. There's there's a, a decent amount of roster turnover going on on here this year at Wake Forest, and so I I think if if nothing else, like we can have the discussion of this is just a one year little blip, and they'll they'll go four and eight, and yeah. they'll be fine for twenty twenty one, go seven and five again, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, you know, like we don't really have that like bona fide track record from Dave Clawson to say he can do it at a school for more than like five or six years at a time. Again, he, he just hasn't chosen to, you know, I guess. I mean, he's been at Fordham and Bowling Green and what was the other place? Uh, Richmond. He was at Fordham for five years, went 0 and 11, three and eight, seven and four, 10 and three, nine and three left and went to Richmond. They went three and eight, nine and four, six and five, 11 and three. Then he left and went to Bowling Green. They went seven and six, two and ten, five and seven, eight and five, ten and three. And now he's been at Wake Forest for six years. Where they've gone three and nine, three and nine, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five. So if he wins ten games at Wake Forest in the next couple of years, does he make the jump to Miami? I think he becomes president. <laughs> I think I was gonna say well, I, it's an election <laughs> year, Mike. I mean, I think he just, I think he takes the White House if he wins ten years at Wake, you know, ten games at Wake at, at this point. I, I don't know who. Uh, He'd be the strongest Democrat candidate today. Okay. Okay. Whoops. Um, whoa, sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, um, dear. Man. Okay. So I think Wake Forest, back to football. I think Wake Forest <laughs> is probably a three to four win team this year, right? I'm going to go four and, and eight. Give me yeah. Credit. So if they go four and eight and then all of a sudden they go seven wins, eight wins, et cetera, then it's like, okay, Dave Colossus all of a sudden 
Cutcliffe, right? It's like yeah. he has a bad year, but he's able to sustain a good program at a school where it's very difficult to win. Yeah. And for you to be compared to Dave Cutcliffe, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That is quite all right, actually. Yeah, um, he's a very He's a very good and very well-respected college football coach yep. um, who's put a lot of guys in the NFL. That's yep. great. Um, you take it every time. Wake, yes. If Wake Forest wins eight games in 2020, name the Coach of the Year trophy after Dave Clawson. <laughs> because I don't think there is any way they even win six games, let alone seven or eight. So name the trophy after him if he gets to eight wins. I have a Four feeling months. that we've got a uh, hashtag Clawson2020 hashtag coming for the podcast oh, this fall. <laughs> Mid-election oh, year, no. it's all fine. Dave Clawson2020. Yeah, it could be, uh, <laughs> yeah, they could run on the ticket and try to take over the Tennessee job. It'd be Clawson and Shiano. <laughs> 2020, we'd go full circle. <laughs> oh my gosh. Finally, number 72 in the FPI, number 95 in the SP+, Plus, the Syracuse Orange. All right, Mike. This Whoa. this is this is do or die for Dino Babers this year because either so you got to prove either one of the last two years was a blip on the radar. Which was, one was? Was it the nine and four year where you went and kicked the snot out of West Virginia and what the Citrus Bowl or whatever, or was it the next year where you turned around and went five and seven when everyone thought you were going to be like a ranked team coming into the year? Which one is it? I and a, I have a bad feeling it's this past year was yeah. the real one, and the year before was the blip on the radar. It was like Eric Dungey, my parents are out of town. Let's throw a party on every offensive snap. Um, they don't have that anymore, and mm-hmm. they didn't have that this year, and it proved to be a real problem, especially mm-hmm. in the running game, Joey. Like mm-hmm. when handing it off to your running back didn't work, you had Eric Dungey to just kind of. Pick up some yards here and there. Make some stuff up. You really missed that. Mm -hmm. Like, make it up. Backyard football is the best kind of football. It's hard to win at Syracuse. It's really, really hard to win at Syracuse. And to have a guy like Eric Dungey depart your program and to have this sort of thing happen where there's a significant drop-off the following year really makes you wonder, to your point, like, which one is the real Syracuse? And... Dino Babers isn't going to lose his job if the team's not any good. But if the team's not any good this year and the team's not any good next year too, that would make it three years in a row if you count this past season where the teams really suck and four out of the last five years where the team has really sucked. So I was then it's say, that's that's four to five years under Babers that they would not have made a bowl game if they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So then all of a sudden that is a coaching problem. Mm-hmm. So Keep an eye on that. I think regardless of what happens this upcoming year, he's probably safe. If the following year it's bad again, he's probably out of a job. Um, So 2020 is an important year for him to stay off the hot seat, believe it or not, even though he's only going to be two years removed from winning nine games for the first time in a really long time for Syracuse. The only thing I would disagree with there is that, you know, so let's say this year goes south, it's a coaching problem. I don't know that I agree with that. And, and, it's, it's more like a I don't necessarily agree with that thing because in, in a little bit in the, in the light of what kind of what we're referring to here, if Syracuse misses a bowl game this year and they're not that good, does that 100% reflect on Dino Babers as a coach and as a program builder? Or does some of that reflect on Syracuse as a football program at this point and anything short of Urban Meyer and Dabo and Saban and, and them like – 
there's only so much you can do with the, the Syracuse football program in the year 2020. Oh, I'm not talking 2020. I'm talking about 2021. Like, if they're bad this year in 2020 and then bad in 2021, then I think it's a coaching problem. What, what do you need to see in 2021 that you're not going to see in 2020? I mean, this is going to be year five of the Dino Babers coaching staff, right? Like, this is a full roster of his guys, and you've seen what he can do with this team for five years at this point. Fair enough, but you're only you're two seasons removed from nine wins instead of three. Then it's all of a sudden like, okay, we've had three. We had a couple bad years. We had three consecutive bad years in a row following the best season we've had in a really long time. That's like, that's the aberration, right? But then again, on the flip side, and let's play devil's advocate and maybe more on the line of what you're thinking, is, is bad Dino Babers as bad as Scott Schaefer was when he was the head coach? I mean, depending on your criteria, I, I would argue that, that the Dino Babers brand of football is more interesting to watch. It's probably going to sell more tickets and engage more fans and blah, 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 blah. But and like, it's probably easier to recruit to as well. Yeah. And no, but my thing is more like if if the guy's here for five years and he tries to build his program and all this stuff and he, he never really gets over the the bowl eligibility hump, which especially considering what the ACC has been, that's not that's not like a total mountain to climb, right? Like that's, that's doable. And if he's only able to do it one out of five years, you know, it, it tells you something about one of the involved parties at least. And, and I'm, I, I feel like I saw enough in year three under Babers that if this, if issue goes bad, I'm not convinced that this is a Dino Babers problem. It might be a Syracuse problem, frankly. Fair. Um, so do you that, think that, that that's what I'm saying? Do you think that Dino Baber is that is that argument you have independent of whether or not he keeps his job? Um, a little bit, yeah. Okay. And, 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 okay. Fair. And and I certainly think that if if he loses his he goes you know call it four and eight five and seven again this year and he loses his job, there might be a little bit of lack of self awareness with the Syracuse athletic program. We'll say that right. Like if you're if you're firing this guy saying you know I can't believe you couldn't do any better than this. That says that you think that guy's a bad coach, and yet we're a year removed from that guy's name being mentioned for USC, for Clemson, for some of these, you know, top fifteen jobs in college football if they were to come open, and for then a year later for Syracuse to turn around and fire him. I don't know. There, there's a disconnect there somewhere of either what he's capable of or what that program is willing to do or or, or something. I don't really know, but. I will say this, is that if this year does not go well from an on-field record standpoint, I am not ready to just completely put that whole burden and that whole thing on Dino Babers himself. It might be that Syracuse is a a rough place to try to build a program at this point. You're not going to hear any arguments from me that Syracuse is a brutal place to build a program. Yeah. So, I'm with you. Yeah. And, I mean, historically tides are changing right i mean you know 20 years ago we're talking about donovan McNabb playing up right. there, right like and yeah and they've had good teams at, at times throughout history but especially since leaving the big east and such i mean it's 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 been a whole thing who can forget the greg paulus here and, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and not just football i mean look at what that basketball program has been in the last five six years there's still How about Syrac- that for a segue with the Greg Paulus reference? All I'm saying, all I'm saying, there's still Syracuse and there's still, you know, Jim Beheim's the coach. 
they're not like the perennial number one, number two overall seed in the, in the tournament that they were 10, 15 years ago, right? Like, right. there may well be something going on in that athletic department that is not all that conducive to successful program building in multiple sports. So Fundraising, baby. That's right. That's right. All right. Mike, that's all I got on the uh, FPI and SP Plus ratings now that we've gone the better part of an hour. Perfect. Let's uh, get in that the whole transfer rule thing. That's right. Uh, the ACC came out this week and dropped a little nugget that they are in support, I guess, as a league on the referendum that was dropped, I think, what, a few months ago or something about the Big Ten, stating that they were collectively generally in favor of a one-time, no-questions-asked transfer rule to be applied to college athletes, uh, basically saying... Um, you know, giving athletes the, the power once they've signed an LOI and especially once they've shown up on campus and such to say, hey, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go to this other school. And whatever school you're coming from has no ifs, ands, or buts. They have no option to say anything about it. Basically putting a little bit of power in the hands of the student athletes. And that is just a shocking uh, turn of events in the NCAA for the student athletes to have like any shred of power to themselves. But uh I generally I am in favor of this, Mike. We we can have the discussion, and I I'm particularly f- frustrated, and I, I've always been. Uh, I don't know how much we've hit on in this podcast. I'm always I've always been very frustrated at the farce that has become the college end of college athletics. I I think what this was meant to be a hundred years ago, and what it's kind of become, is a complete and total disconnect. But considering what the sport is these days and what people are trying to do with it and all this, like, I got no problem with this at all. I'm fully in support of the league on it. Yeah, so I'm I'm in favor of paying players and all that good stuff. I mm-hmm. think we're working with antiquated rules. I think the NCAA has done a pretty poor job of administering rules in a number of different scenarios, um, whether it be in regards to transfers or what have you. Um I don't know how I feel about this. Now, on one hand, I think that players should be immediately eligible and, and more power should be given to players. And if a coach can leave at any time, why can't a player leave at any time? I get all that, and it's it's a tough discussion. Where I have a little bit of concern, and we were trending this direction with the transfer portal to begin with when the NCAA started handing out uh, immediate eligibility waivers like they were candy, mm-hmm. um, is that you had scenarios that were legitimate for which the waiver was actually supposed to be used for like situations such as Virginia tech offensive lineman, Brock Hoffman, who wanted to play closer to home um, nearby to a sick family member. That should be a situation in which a waiver is granted for immediate eligibility. Instead, we denied him that waiver and gave a waiver to Justin Fields because he is a highly touted quarterback recruit who sat behind Jake Fromm at Georgia and would produce massive amounts of revenue for the sport if he panned out as expected at a major blue blood college football program like Ohio State. Something, something Tate Martell transferring something, from something Ohio Tate State to Miami? I mean, bingo. Bingo. Um, so we're just scratching the surface there, and there are plenty of other um, examples that we can point to. 
I think that is where the major issue lies, and that's why you have conferences saying everybody should be immediately eligible at least one time. I think this is a rule that's going to have significant ramifications to smaller schools in the group of five in particular. Um, I think you're going to have good players that may have stuck around a couple of seasons at the group of five level before seeking a graduate transfer that are instead going to say after a sophomore year, okay, I'm out of here. Um, I'll be immediately eligible at Florida, at Ohio state, at Notre Dame, at Clemson. Um, do I think it's significant enough to then not instill the rule, though? No, I do not. And I don't know what the answer is at the group of five level to kind of maintain, quote unquote, competitive balance. But then at the, on the same, you know, by the same token, with the current college football playoff system, like group of five teams are screwed anyway. Like you're going to have the best group of five team that's not legitimately going to have a shot in the playoff anyway let alone win the thing. And there are a number of reasons why they, they wouldn't win it. I, I don't think access means that all of a sudden you're going to win the title, but I do think they should get a shot to at least pull an upset or two. Maybe you're all of a sudden in the semifinal game. Yeah. I mean, that's more, that's more legitimate access than you were getting before. Does it mean that they're going to win the national championship? No, probably not. The blue chip ratio that Bud Elliott developed exists for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. The blue chip, the, the teams that get the most blue chip recruits win championships. Yeah. That's just the fact. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing. I am generally in agreement with the transfer rule, but I just, there's always more to it. And I'm in favor of, of paying the players. I'm in favor of more rights for the players because um, I think the NCAA rules are a sham. I think the NCAA is a sham organization. I'm 100% behind all those arguments. I just think that it's tough. It's tough, but I, I'm generally in agreement with it. There's just other things to consider. Oh, completely, completely. I, not to get too far into it, and, and I'd, I'd be more than happy to do a separate episode where I dig a little deeper into my thoughts, but the long and short of where I, I stand on this thing and, and what I call the sham of, of what is um, the, these athletic scholarships versus what they were meant to be is, I mean, you look where these things came from, right? I, I, 75 years ago, whatever. Basically, people were using a sport to pay for their college education. And you can look at certain sports across the NCAA still and see this same thing, right? Like people that are going to go play a sport in college that they know they're never going to make a dime from as a professional. Correct. But I'm going to use this and still go to practice every morning and, and do these things and compete and, and try to win championships and all this stuff. Because at the same time, I'm going to turn around and get an education and, and try to earn a degree that I can then turn into a professional career and, and change my family's fortunes and, and do all these good things, right? Positive, positive output. The problem is that when you start seeing things like, and, and I think where I first started seeing this, like any sort of hard evidence was if you go back to Stephen Godfrey's meet the ba meet the bag man article, where he talked about the, the ridiculous recruiting culture in the sec and, how this really works in, in what we talk about with the under the table paying of athletes and blah, 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 blah. One of the things he described in there was that basically people knew they were taking guys who were barely qualified to go to a college. They were putting them in a major that they knew was easy. It was designed to keep athletes legal. 
And it, ultimately, they all kind of understood this isn't really going to set anybody up to do anything after school other than be like a PE teacher. And, right. and you've created the system where now, okay, they're a PE teacher. Well, guess what that becomes? That becomes you're a football coach at the local high school. And guess what you're going to do as a football coach at the local high school? You're going to take your kids and push them towards the school you went to. And so it's this it's this like self-serving system, right? You know, and, that, and that's all great. But it, it goes against the original concept of you're supposed to use this skill you have as an athlete to pay for an education that is then going to result in an improved future for you and for your family. Except that whole thing is broken when you are using that to pay for an education that is known to be a giant load of crap that's going to sit here and turn around you know, and, and just kind of serve its own system. And so at some point, basically my thought is, if, if that's what we're going to do, that's, that's fine with me. Let's just call it that. Don't don't call it something different. Don't act like it's it's some you know higher moral purpose. You know, if your whole goal of going to play college football is to try to get to the NFL, even though the the odds are remarkably stacked against you, that's fine. Go take classes on how not to go bankrupt as a professional athlete. You know, go do, go do things that actually generally like benefit you and and benefit your family and your support system. My frustration is so much in, like, we act like it's this one thing and we want to clutch our pearls and say, oh, it's this, uh, it's this, um, I don't know, the whole thing about, uh, like, we're trying to better people's lives, when in reality, that's not how it works anymore. If that's the case, fine, but just call it that and just do that. And so this whole transfer thing, I I, I get frustrated. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a math guy, I'm a numbers guy, and, and the whole, like, the likelihood that anybody makes it to the NFL is astronomically low. And yet so many of these guys are, I'm going to go somewhere that's going to give me a better chance to make the league. And it's like, you too, you know? And, and so this is where I get kind of frustrated with it. But as a general rule, do I think that the schools and in the NCAA and such should have such overwhelming jurisdiction over the individuals who participate in the system? No. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. If if I was going to transfer from Georgia Tech to Tennessee to Virginia Tech to NC State, whatever, would anybody tell me I can't take classes for a year? No. Right. And so ultimately, what's our goal here? Just keep that in mind. Just, just let them do it. Like, you know, the whole thing. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up two here, Mike. We had a, a great tweet from the uh, the great, well-known, the prophet, Mark Richt. Oh, good. That's mm-hmm. that's good. Hey, yes. uh, glad he's back and on TV and doing stuff from his heart attack. What? So, seriously. What, what <laughs> life good. were we living without Mark Richt on our televisions? Yes. Uh, Mark Richt tweeted today, I know. I have an idea. You recruit and develop players, and when I think they're good enough... I'm going to poach them from your roster. Welcome to what the new normal will look like in college football. You still got to convince them to leave Alabama, Mark Richt. A. B. Mark Richt. Did. Who, like, who hurt you? Which of your great players did they come and take away from you? This feels like. This is like the, the guy who's out there, like, 
dealing drugs and blaming parents for letting their kids get addicted, right? Like, I'll like, tell you, dude, you're the perpetrator. You're the one doing this. Like, what are we doing here? Hey, hey, Mark Rick, I'll tell you one guy they didn't take from you, Malik Rozier. <laughs> oh, that's what he's mad about. Yeah, you please guys take stuck him. me with this guy for another year. Uh, I told you he's a good baseball player. I promise when he's good enough, you can take him. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, God. Mandy Diaz. Mandy Diaz is like, hey, Mark. Mark, how do we get rid of these players? <laughs> Please help me. Mark, uh, you were the offensive coordinator for Florida State and you won national titles. Why is our offense so trash? Can I retire now, too? Oh, God. Uh, I have nothing. Sorry, Miami. All right. I agree with you, though, largely. So. Yeah, I, it's. There's this whole conceptual frustration I have with your making up fake majors and you're just knowingly not setting people up for success in the way that this whole system was kind of meant to be. And yet we're also saying like, if this is bad for the sport or something, I don't know. Who is this about? Like who, who's meant to be the winner and who's meant to gain from this. And let's just keep that in mind before we change any rules or or stop from changing any rules. I don't know. Yeah. The bot. The bottom line is the NCAA says that they're about the student athletes. No, they're not. And that is just not the case yeah. at all. Um, and that's that's the bottom line. So, like you said, who who stands to benefit and who is the party that is supposed to benefit in all this? At the core of the NCAA and what they were developed to do, it was to develop student athletes. Mm-hmm. And it became a revenue making machine in college football and basketball in particular. And now you're at a point of essentially no return with the rules as they are currently stated. So you either have to evolve or you have to die. Like those are the two, not to be dramatic, but those are the two options. I mean, guys are going to seek out other avenues if they think that they can make a living either earlier or at a more efficient pace than they're currently going to make a living at the NCAA level. That's mm-hmm. just the bottom line. So anyway. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it's something to keep an eye on and feels like something that we're going to have further updates on this off season. I, but I, I mean, I tend to agree of, of where this needs to go. Um, this is, it, it's, it's a thing that's been, given a lot of very real uh, major questions over the past like decade or so and that the NCAA has not come up with a lot of really good convincing answers on either so you know something to uh, to keep in mind because it's the type of thing that you'd like to see some change on here and in, in, you know as soon as possible and yet the NCAA is also like doubling down on as frequently as possible lately so yeah for sure I don't know. Uh, Mike, we had one other topic, but we are running real long here, and it can probably wait until next time. We can hold on to it. I think so. Um, just a little little, little teaser. Uh, teaser, baby. There is uh, there's still football being played at the moment. So if, uh, if you're interested in watching football in, like, February and March – Boy, do we have the podcast for you! So just keep it tuned here, and we're gonna we're gonna keep the uh, actual live football takes coming. So uh, just just stay tuned in. Yeah, we're a uh, 
we're a professional football podcast now. Like fully professional or like semi-professional or I almost call it semi-pro, but I thought that was insulting to the semi-pros that are in the league. I I thought the best way I saw of putting it at like top to bottom, and if this is a perfect description, um, if you're familiar with the SB Nation LSU blog and the Valley Shook, um, there's a guy on there named Jake who tweeted out, and this is absolutely perfect. Just you know, we'll we'll pull the curtain back a little bit. The XFL, Mike. Um, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, okay. That's what we're Thank talking God. about. The XFL. Okay. The XFL is like professional college football more than it is like college professional football. Your favorite players like Cardell Jones, mm-hmm. Cam Phillips, PJ Walker, PJ Walker. There's some dudes. Well, they they were like college dudes that never really made it in the NFL, but Jordan Tamu. It, there was something about it and I can't really quantify it, but it, in a lot of ways, on a play-to-play basis, it looks like college football. It was kind of fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Me too. Uh, go Roughnecks, by the way. The, uh, I'm a, more of a defender's guy. I, I'd imagine you would be. Imagine you would be. So we're going to come back and hit that. There is a, a lot of ACC-relevant content within the XFL, is all we're saying. So uh, if you're interested in that, stay tuned. If you're not interested in that, also stay tuned. Uh, we're, we're not going to do too much of it, as you can see. We, we meant to do it today, but we ran out of time. Yeah, because Joey and I made too many jokes. That's correct. That's correct. All right, uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good. All right. All right, well, uh, this has been a really good uh, you know, catch-up session here for like an hour and 12 minutes or whatever it's been. So uh, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back in you know, some amount of time. I don't know week or two or four or whatever we'll see we're trying to keep it semi-regular within a week week and a half we have a new pod but we're we're grasping for content a little bit maybe we should do a mailbag at some point oh we we absolutely will we just need mailbag entries is all so add us hmm yeah this is on you listeners add us yep for sure yep you want more content you want more podcasts add us please do please do uh, so we're going to come back and we're going to do, I don't know, a theoretical mailbag. If you guys mail us, uh, we're going to talk about the XFL as it relates to the, uh, ACC. We're going to talk about, I don't know, probably not spring practice, but who's to say could be, maybe we'll see. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Correct. With a question mark. Okay, good. Uh, Sorry. he is at. BC, we're together. We're at BC Podcast ACC. I had to double check that. As you could tell, uh, I, I it's been a minute. Anyways, uh, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns. You can submit to the mailbag. Whatever you want to do, send it all to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Or you can submit it to our bag man. Please do. Please do. Yeah. I mean, we, we accept those submissions as well. So hit us up. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Overcast, all those good places. Most importantly, on the Anchor app. And Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Joe. Please do. Please do. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Very thorough. This was good. Yeah. This is exactly what I was hoping to spend like an hour and 13 minutes talking about in February about the ACC football.
if y'all didn't find this funny, then... Let's try again next time. Let's try again next time. At least Joey and I laughed. <laughs> we find ourselves funny. That's good enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and talk about more mess here in a couple weeks, I guess? I don't know. We have no choice. No choice. Uh, I'm going on a, a little road trip this weekend to a uh, small Louisiana casino town, basically. So, uh, Are you? Maybe I'll recap that on our next trip. Next uh, discussion, podcast, app, whatever. I don't know. Or, or you can wait till your next trip. That's totally sure, fine. Sure. Yeah, just aggregate those stories as, as, it, yeah. as one would. Yeah, as you begin to load the car upon your next adventure, you say, actually, you know what? We got to recap my last one first. Let's do it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. So, anyways, we'll do that maybe or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, uh, Mike, we'll talk again soon. All right, bye. All right. Well, until next time, from Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then, go ACC. Bye.